go with it. Amen. So this morning in Psalm chapter 68 and verse number 6, it says, uh, well, we'll start with verse 5. It, uh, well, we'll start with verse 4. Let's start with verse 3. What do you say? Amen. Does that sound good? It's very good. But let the righteous be glad. I think we've, uh, we've accomplished some of that today. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. I didn't know I was going to read that verse today, but I think that is so appropriate. Let them exceedingly rejoice. You know, those folks that think, well, I don't think all that's necessary. Well, talk to God about that. Look at Psalm 68, 3. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Sing unto God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him that, hi- that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless. And a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. I want you to notice that phrase. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, and the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Notice the first part of verse 6. God setteth the solitary in families. Family is God's idea. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to read verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. And then, of course, he gave him his wife. I will make and help meet or fitting for him. It is not good that man should be alone. And then to the book of Ecclesiastes, I know these are a lot of references, you can just note them if you want, or you can go back later in the, um, and look at the live stream and, and get, get your information, your notes, whatever. But Ecclesiastes chapter number 4 and verse number 19. There is no 19. Verse 9. Sorry. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. He speaks of one person needing to be connected to another person. And then he jumps from two to three. And the only thing we can conclude is that the third has to be God. Right relationships between people that have God tied up with them, and I mean that in a good way, those are the relationships that mean the most. Family is God's idea. The earth, the planet earth, and man 
as a family, all of that was about God's family. Creation is because God wanted a family. And that desire hasn't changed. God's desire has not changed. In Deuteronomy 32.9, Moses says, The Lord's portion is his people. Have you ever wondered what does God get out of the millenniums of human history? In the end result, what is it that God gets? Well, the only thing he's interested in is you. He's not impressed with the mountains, the oceans. He's not impressed with the resources, the material resources of the planet. He created all of that with you in mind, not with himself in mind. That's why I'm not worried about what temperature it is or how much of this or that or the other resource that we use. I know that we need to be good stewards, but I'm not afraid of all of that because God would never have created a world that we couldn't survive in as long as we need to be here. And as a matter of fact, there will be a new heaven and a new earth one of these days. The first heaven and the first earth will pass away and with fervent heat. So yes, we believe in global warming. It's coming in a real way. Amen. And so uh, God created this planet for his people. Amen. And then in Exodus chapter 19, and I do want to turn to that one because it's, it's something that I want to read to you. And, of course, you know how we operate here because we have week after week after week to go here, 52 of them in a year. And most of them I'm ministering. Some we have guests. but uh, uh, So we get, to, we get to camp out in these series of messages and in these particular scriptural passages. Well, in the book of Exodus in chapter 19, so we, we get to take the time to read is my point and uh, move as, as the Lord leads us. So we probably won't finish today, but we'll make a good start. Exodus chapter 19, and um, we'll start reading with verse 1. We might as well do that and read down through verse 4. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness And there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Now here's what God says to Moses you need to say. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings. And brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. You see, covenant people walk on this earth unlike other people. You will be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all, God says, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. I want to focus on verse 4 particularly. 
how that this verse tells us that God said that I brought you unto myself. That's what God has always wanted, a people, a family. He doesn't need more angels. I mean, when a third of the angelic host fell, he still wasn't short. You, one of the things you must know about God is he doesn't believe in shortages. God believes in extravagant abundance. He's not a God that just thinks in terms of what can we do to get by. God always gives his best. That's why he sent Jesus. God always has more than enough. That's why he made such a great and grand covenant for us and fulfills it through the power of the Holy Spirit by the fulfilling of the word and through the precious blood of Jesus that has redeemed us, he brings his word to pass. God just wanted a family. And that's what man was all about, the creation. When I say man, I mean men and women, mankind. That's what it's all about. And our living here on the earth, it's all about God's family. And in that plan, God allowed us and allows us to enjoy family on a natural and personal scale. Our natural lives are to be a picture of the greater spiritual life, the, the family of God in general. There is a natural family and there is a spiritual family. Can you say amen? amen? Now we understand about natural families. And by the way, marriage and the idea of family is a remnant of paradise that we still have today. You know, when man fell in the garden, he was expelled from that place of paradise. And we don't know how long it took, but eventually Eden disappeared. That was never God's intention. God intended that through seed time and harvest and through covenant living, God's family would expand the Garden of Eden until it eventually would cover the whole earth. Man was only limited by his obedience to God and his willingness to sow and reap and sow and reap. And you know, when we were restored back to fellowship with God, through the redemptive work of Jesus. And all that Adam lost for us was regained back to us in Christ Jesus. Then today, whether you realize it or not, God sees you right here in October of 2022 as being a covenant man or woman of God. And your only limitations are your obedience and your willingness to sow and reap in the kingdom of God. You can expand your garden, if you will. As large as you want. You can expand your influence and your outreach. You can expand the goodness of God in your life and through your life to bless others. And it's amazing what God can bless you with if you just obey Him. I didn't come here today with sad stories. I didn't come here today to gripe and complain. I didn't come here to politicize anything. I come to talk about the God that transcends politics the God that transcends emotions and feelings and poverty and recessions and depressions and interest rates and inflation rates and 
crazy, messed up governments and everything else. I'm talking about the God that has always brought his people through times of war, famine, pestilence, upheavals, all kinds of mess. He has, he has taken care of his people even when nationally they were under judgment and, and were put into places of bondage. That's why you see the stories, those great stories of Daniel and of the three Hebrew children as we call them and, and all those wonderful stories and Nehemiah and all the rest is because they're always has been in the heart of God a desire to reach out to people that would just believe him. If you want to know what God is looking for right now, 2 Chronicles 16, 9 tells you what he's looking for. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. God's looking for people that he can bless. How many today meet the qualifications? How many are ready? Amen. Amen. And so God has always wanted this family, and that's why you see such an attack on family. I mean, from every aspect, uh, you know, there is so many, uh, there are so many attacks, and there are things that have happened in recent years that, that we wouldn't even have imagined even 10 years ago, or 20, or 30, or certainly not 40 or 50 years ago. We would never have imagined some of the onslaught and attack against biblical marriage, against biblical relationships against biblical commands, against biblical precedent and principle, and against biblical family. And we are swiftly coming into the place and swiftly coming into a situation where the church, God's covenant people, are the only people that will be demonstrating these truths. I'm not saying that there won't be any anywhere at all, but for the most part, as far as institutions, as far as what people would look to as an example of what a family ought to be, it's pretty much now gotten to, you can only find that at church. And that's one of the reasons why the devil has worked hard to try to infiltrate the church with false teachings and false doctrines to get people to back away from the teachings of traditional marriage and traditional family and all those other things. I want to go on record today to say that we will never back away from that. We'll never back away from the truth. We never will. We never will. And if I go to jail, I'll preach in prison. I mean, you know, if a preacher gets put in jail for his message, he's joining the likes of people like the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Peter. I mean, that's pretty good company. So I'm telling you that you just have to know what you believe. You have to know why you believe it. And you have to make up your mind that you're not going to stop believing it. There's no compromising of truth. And it's not a matter of, is it my truth or is it your truth? It's just a matter of it's truth. Truth is truth. So this family thing is very important to God. And what I want to talk about uh, is, is both sides. I want to talk some about the natural family. I want to talk some about the spiritual family. Now, I want us to go um, to the book of John, the gospel of John, chapter number 1 and verse number 13 this morning. Now, you might notice that, that we're giving you a lot of scriptures, probably more than we normally would. But uh, this, this subject is so important that we need to make sure we're, we're on track with with the, the word, what God is saying here. And I want you to see these points from Scripture themselves. John chapter 1 and verse number 13, it says, 
And this is speaking, uh, well, I think we probably should back up to uh, verse number 12. And I'm not just doing that to be funny. I just got open these up and I see these things and we just need to go back a little bit. That's okay. Verse number 12, but as many as received him, that's Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, this is the verse I want you to really focus on. Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. And I think there's a translation that words it something like, nor of a husband's will. In other words, this birth has nothing to do with men. It, is, it has to do with God. Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so what we lost in the fall, we have regained through Jesus Christ. And the greatest thing we gained was a relationship with God, back to family. God, when you were born again, became your father. Now prior to that, sadly, prior to that, if, until you were born again, the devil was your father. That's not a politically correct statement to make, you know. That, that's not very popular. But I'm not making that up. Jesus said it in the 8th chapter of John and verse number 44. John 8, 44. When Jesus was being accosted and uh, being harassed by religious hypocrites in his day, and, uh, you know, they, they tried to give him a hard time, he said to them in John 8, 44, Ye are of your father the devil. Now you don't have to have any theological help to, to figure that out. That's pretty plain, isn't it? Every non-born again person is in the family of the devil. Until they are born again and delivered out of that family back into the family of God. He said, ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. Those are very tough, but true words. And so that's the situation and the condition uh, of every unborn again, unregenerate person until they are born, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, not of a husband's will, but born of God. Now let's go over to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter number 3. And I'm having to turn and find this just like you are. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number... No wonder that doesn't look right. That's Philippians 3. I want Ephesians 3. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice this 15th verse. Of whom the whole family, 
Everybody say family. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So he's referring to God's family, not the devil's family. Now I know there's a thought that became popular a number of years ago. And people espoused it and they kind of philosophized around it. It sounded kind of fancy, I guess, about the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. And we know that through creation and through Adam, we all have come as physical seed. And so in a very real sense, there is a a real physical connection between every human on the earth. We all descended from Adam. But he made it clear, as we looked in John 8, 44, that today, not everybody is in the family of God. In the fall, two families were basically established. There was a split, a family split. And uh, it's really sad because in the fall, men were separated from the Father. Now think about this for a minute. Before the fall, every day in the cool of the day, God came down and communed with Adam. Every day, Adam had an appointment with God. And and it specifically says that he came down. In other words, the very tangible, real presence of Almighty God came down, and he and Adam fellowshiped. And you know, a lot of times people hear about that or they think about that, and they think, well, that would be so wonderful. But you've got to understand what we lost in Adam was gained in Christ. You can fellowship with the Father anytime you want to, day or night, anytime. And and not only that, the great God of heaven, if you're born again, has taken up a residence in you. And 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So you don't even have to go anywhere for an appointment. You, 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 you just live in one. You're there. He's there anytime, anytime. Amen? And, um, and so this, uh, this fall, though, caused this separation from the Father. And after the fall, now think about this. As I said, God would come down and, 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 and get close to man, and they would fellowship. And after the fall, if God got too close, man died. The sin of man would not stand in the presence of a holy God. Man would be consumed by the holiness of God and the righteous wrath of God. So that had to get fixed or God and man would forever be separated. Now you're in Ephesians chapter 1. Go back to chapter 2. Just turn, turn a page or so in your Bible. And we're going to read a little bit about the condition of man before, uh, I'm sorry, the condition of man after the fall. Now you see, this uh, sin thing separated us from our life source. That's why man began to die. And that's why the physical body decays. Sin separated us from our life source. And the wall of separation was higher and more restrictive than we on our own could ever overcome. You couldn't do enough good works in a million years to earn five minutes of righteousness before God. There was no way. We were hopeless. 
we were helpless and we were homeless. The whole family had been destroyed. And God was not happy with that, and nor were we happy with that. Because the fact is, Satan is a bad father. A lot of people have sometimes problems uh, that they have to get through in their thinking and their emotions in, in uh, relating to God properly as their father. Many times that's because they didn't have maybe a, a really good father of their own. They might not have had a father who lived with them at all while they were growing up. They might have had a father who abandoned them or they might have had an abusive father. I don't know, but I do want to say this. On beh- uh, uh, in defense of, 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 of men, there are no perfect fathers. There's not a man in this room that's raised children that cannot say, I could have, I should have done something or not done that or whatever it may be, but you can't go back and undo. Amen? So we have to make the best of where we are at this moment. There are no perfect fathers on earth, but there is a perfect father in heaven. And so you might have had an issue that caused you some problems relating to God, but you've got to realize God is not a man. The Bible actually says that, those very words. God is not a man. And so we're not looking to to men to uh, fix everything. We're looking for that relationship with our heavenly father. Amen. And Satan as I say is, is a terrible father. He is abusive. He's a liar. He's cruel. He's relentless. In his desire to steal. Kill and destroy. John 10.10. 10. You and I. Must learn. To differentiate between. That which is from God. And that which is from the devil. You'll never relate to your spiritual family and your spiritual father properly until you figure out that which is from God and that which is from the devil. There's a whole cloud of misinformation about where stuff comes from. And it's not limited just to the world and those who've never been born again. It's out there too, of course. But it's also, sadly, even in the church world, where a lot of times people just don't know if it's God or the devil. There was a man in Matthew the 8th chapter that came to Jesus and he had that problem. He was a leper, so he was uh, incurable. He was in a situation where that this terrible disease would slowly take his life. And in the process of walking out that death sentence, he was, by Jewish law, he was quarantined and had to be separated from everybody. And when he would go out, I guess to get food or whatever he needed to do, he would have to yell out, unclean, unclean, unclean. So people could clear out and make a way for him. And he was separated, isolated. He was miserable. And so he comes to Jesus and he had heard about Jesus, obviously. He knew about the healings and the miracles of Jesus. And so he comes to him and he says, Lord... If you will, you can make me clean. That sounds like 
a lot of Christians' prayers today. They don't say it maybe in those exact words, but they'll say it something like this. Lord, would you heal me or would you heal so-and-so if it's your will? Now, Jesus didn't heal this man until he corrected that wrong theology. It sounds humble. It sounds submissive. It sounds pious. It sounds religious. The problem with it is it's just wrong. There is no faith in that statement enough. There is some faith. There's faith in the ability of God, and that's important. But there was no faith in the willingness of God. That would be just like if I whipped out a $100 bill. And don't get nervous because I, I didn't bring one. Uh, but let's say I whipped out a $100 bill right here. And I said, you know, I could give $100 to anybody in this room. Well, that's, you know, that's interesting. But there's a bunch of people in this room. You still have no basis to believe you're getting $100. You only would know you're getting it if I say, Welcome back, Margaret, from Colorado. I'm going to give you $100. You see, that's the only way you would know, is if I told you what my will was. Well, Jesus corrected this man's theology. There had been a covenant of healing now for thousands of years. And so Jesus corrected this man's theology and he said, I will. See, before he could get healed, he had to have his theology corrected. And why? Because not just so he could say I'm right, but so he could believe correctly. It takes faith to receive from God. I know a lot of people don't like to teach much about faith because they think you're, you, if you're not careful, you're going to get till it's too much of a... Of a um, theory. It's going to be too much of a formula. You're going to make too much of the thing. But the fact is, Hebrews 11, 6 can't make it any plainer. It is impo- without faith, it is impossible to please God. It doesn't say it's highly unlikely. It doesn't say it's very difficult. It says it's not even possible. So that has to be taken care of. And so in this man, Jesus said, I will. Be thou clean. He stretched forth his hand, touched the leper, the person that he was not even supposed to touch. Most people would have been afraid to touch him. Jesus touched him, and he was healed. You see, what we need to understand is God is a good God, and the devil's a bad devil. John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. Why'd you come, Jesus? He said, I'm come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. So if it steals from you on any level, in any way, if it kills, if it produces death, whether that's sudden or slow, if it brings destruction into your life, if it brings destruction into your uh, relationships or any area of your life, then it's not from God. The hillbilly paraphrase that I use sometimes is this, if it ain't good, it ain't God. Now, I know that theologians think that's just too simplified. And, you know, really the Bible is that way. It is so simple, really. It's so powerful that you have to have theological help to misunderstand this. You you usually have to have somebody with great education to, to, to get you off track. 
Jesus wasn't teaching to theology students. Jesus wasn't teaching to seminary graduates. He wasn't preaching to people. You know, there were a few doctors of the law. There were a few well-educated people. But the most of the masses that Jesus spoke to were uneducated people. And in that particular day and time, probably most all, there would have been maybe only a handful of, if any, women that would have been able even to read. I'm not saying that was good. I'm just saying that's the way it was in that day. So when he taught, that's why he taught the way he did. That's why he taught in the simplistic truths of sowing and reaping and, and all the other parables that he used. He taught spiritual principles in such simplicity that anybody could receive it. And I'll tell you, we have made a mistake, I think, in general in the church world in trying to make things too deep and too complicated and too convoluted. It's not hard to understand that if it ain't good, it ain't God. It's not hard to understand. You see, what it is, it just seems so good that we almost think it's too good to be true. And people think, well, it couldn't be that easy. It couldn't be that. How could it be that easy? Don't I need to do all of these things? Don't I need to fix this and fix that and do all this other stuff? Let me ask you a question. Those of you who are parents or grandparents and those of you who've, well, you all had parents. Uh, so... Everybody's familiar to some degree with family. Can you imagine that your family would come to you and you've got a pantry full of food, you've got a refrigerator full of food, you've got food on the table, you've got a meal set, you've told everybody what time you're having your dinner, and the, you've got everything ready to go, and you've got plates ready, everything is ready, the house smells wonderful like great food, and all of a sudden people come in and, and, and your very family, your children, your grandchildren, they come in and they say, you know, they just fall down. Oh, Nana, Nana, Poppy, could you spare a cracker? You know, I know you got steak. I know you got baked potatoes. I know, yeah, that's good. I, I know that you got, I know, <laughs> I know that, sorry, I had to do that. You got all this good stuff, pumpkin pie, turkey, dressing, all the whole night. But, you know, I'm, I'm unworthy. I just, I just have a cracker. Now, I don't know what kind of family you got, but there's no way on the planet my family's going to come in and act that way. <laughs> Amen. We had a couple of our grandkids over yesterday, and uh, uh, the younger one of the two, I noticed, I was, I, I noticed that she just marched right over. And uh, she's only been to the house a few times. We just moved there not, not long ago. But she already knows where the pantry is. And she opened up the door. And I noticed she's got something, and she found Glenna's little Debbie uh, pumpkin rolls. And do you think that we said you cannot have one? No, she ate the thing. <laughs> now, I'm saying all that to you to say this. Do you really think that God would send Jesus to the cross, that he would be whipped and bruised, crucified, and spill his life's blood, mocked and shamed, and actually to the place where God would turn away from him and Jesus would cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do you think God would really put him through all of that? And then when you bring your need to him, he'd say, well, I don't know. No, the price has been paid. The pantry's full. It's on the table. We just, we just need to come up and take what belongs to us. 
I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm not talking about belligerence. I'm just talking about say, Father God, I believe what your word says, and therefore I'm going to have what the word says. And that's why I'm going to dance about it. That's why I'm going to shout about it. That's why I'm going to praise about it. That's why I'm going to sing. That's why I'm going to manifest the joy of the Lord, because I believe God. And I believe that it shall be even as he told me in this word. God is a good God. Hallelujah. Now we're talking about the fact God is a good God and Satan is a bad devil. And the the problem that occurred in the fall and how man was put in the position of separation, alienation, and isolation from God. Those three words are the best three words I know of to describe Spiritual death. Spiritual death is not the cessation of existence. Spirit beings don't cease to exist. That's why there is an eternity for the damned and an eternity for the redeemed. Because God had to put people somewhere, if I can use that terminology. And his family he wanted around him and with him. And those who chose not to believe him, who are not part of the family, had to be housed somewhere. That's what hell is about. And it's not a cessation of existence. Spiritual death is not a cessation of existence. I know that there are, there are uh, religious cults that teach that, that uh, when you're dead, you're just dead like a dog, and it's all over, that this is all the hell there is on this earth. Let me tell you something. There is a hell to shun. There is a real, literal hell. And if you think life here is hell, you haven't even seen the beginning of what hell really is. And see, we don't hear a lot about that today in the church world. Nobody wants to hear that that people go to hell. But people are going to hell every minute of the day. Since I started preaching, just wasn't more than 10 minutes ago, was it? I started preaching. God only knows how many people slipped out into eternity. Some of them went to be with the Lord. Many of them went to hell. And that's why we preach and that's why we teach. And that's why we are obligated to tell people the truth. There are two families since the fall. There is the family of God and there is the family of the devil. And the devil is a bad father, as I said. Now... In Ephesians 2, in verse 1, and I'm going to read a few verses and then we're going to close. So if our musicians will come, please. Um, this is just get us set up for, uh, to take off next time in, in the next service. And you hath he quickened, Paul said, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now obviously he's writing to people that were alive physically, so he's talking about spiritual death. You were dead. You were alienated. You were isolated. You were separated from God in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. If you wonder why sinners sin, they sin for the same reason dogs bark, cats meow, cows moo, and hogs oink because that's their nature that's all they know to do if you're trying to browbeat a loved one or a neighbor a friend a sister brother whoever about what they do 
and keep telling them how they're wrong and that they're going to kill themselves, they're going to go to hell or whatever. You need to stop and start praying for them and you need to realize they are doing what they do because they have a nature to do that. We need to work on getting the nature changed. How does a, how does a person want to have a nature change? When they find out that it's available. See, a lot of people's idea of salvation is, I've got to give up this. I've got to give up that. I've got to quit this. I've got to quit that. And, and true, when you get saved, your desires are going to change. And you will, you'll no doubt quit some things. And you'll do some th- new things and all that. But, but you don't do it before in order to get saved. You get saved, then you can. You get saved, then you can. Amen? You see, I drink all the whiskey I want to drink. I smoke all the weed I want to smoke. I commit all the adultery I want to commit. Which, before we go too far, is zero, zero, zero. You see, my want to is different than an unregenerated person. My nature is, is a nature from the impartation of the life and nature of God. Am I perfected in it? No. Have I ever made mistakes? Certainly I have. Uh, but, but I have a new nature. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so I can make choices for holiness. I can make choices for righteousness. Because the righteous one, the holy one, lives on the inside of me. It's not because I'm so good. It's because he is so good. Amen. So we were dead. Notice the word were. That's the key word. We were dead in trespasses and sins. You know, I've preached long enough. I can't, I can't get through all of this properly. So that's what next Sunday's about. And if Jesus comes before next Sunday, we'll let him finish this. We'll ask him. I'm sure he'd do a better job. Praise the Lord. Every head bowed, eye closed for just a moment. You might be here and you might be saying, I am one of those people you've described. I'm in the wrong family. I don't know the Lord. I'm not right with God. I'm not where I ought to be. And I really don't know how in the world I can get all this straightened out. You know, I've got good news for you. You don't have to know that. It's not the how-to that you need to know. It's the who. It's not the how. It's the who. It's Jesus. And I don't mean that just as a cliche. Absolutely. The life of God manifested in you will change your whole life. You can leave today or if you're home watching or wherever you might be watching, you can be changed right now. Just say this with me. Say, Father God. Everybody say that, please. Father God, I come in the name of Jesus. I believe that Jesus died and that he rose again. He is alive now. His death, burial, and resurrection was for me. It was in my place. And his finished work was credited to my account. So right now, I choose to make the withdrawal from that account 
of my righteousness, of my cleansing, of the forgiveness of all my sins. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord, for saving me, for delivering me, for redeeming me. I'll serve you, Lord, the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, let's give him thanks. If you prayed that prayer today, you've got a new life. You've got a new life. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Family. God's family. I'm glad to be a part of the family. I'm glad you're a part of my family. All of us have probably numerous blood relations. But if you are a faithful part of the church, a faithful part of a body of Christ, if you are faithful to go, you're faithful to be there, you're faithful to serve, you're faithful to give, you're faithful to be a part of something God's doing in the earth, then what happens over time is the relationship with that family becomes sometimes even closer than some of your blood relatives that you maybe never see or hardly ever see. Or people you have nothing really in common with on a spiritual level. Maybe you got the same grandparents or great-grandparents. But you're, in, you're spiritually in one family and perhaps they're in another. And one of the things that's our goal, because we believe it's a godly goal, is that this church be a family. And so we just had our newest little baby born the other day little Judah James Cornwell I don't know how many of y'all knew that but uh, Kirsten had the baby and uh, we're so happy for them so we have a newborn to uh, 92 years of age that's family and all in between thank God I love you I appreciate you and thank God for you we've shouted and praised danced jumped and run we've had a great time today you've given you've prayed, you've sung, you've worshipped and I appreciate your exuberance we've got a bunch of folks that today just seem to be one of those days, a bunch of folks missing so if you think of somebody 